Hello everybody. Welcome to the Giants Among Men. This is another, um, going to be another weird one. Um, uh, Scott is on vacation this week, um, so I'm all alone. Going to be uh, running you through things, uh, doing this myself here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Um, thanks for listening. Glad to have you. we got a busy day. A lot is happening. Um, we'll kick off with... Our good friends, the New York Knicks. Free agency began. Free agency began at uh, 6 p.m. on uh, Monday. I don't know why that is. I don't know why not first thing in the morning. I don't quite understand why you wait all day till 6 p.m. and then the signings start happening fast and furious. And of course, you know, there's no tampering. No one's allowed to even negotiate these contracts, and then they happen in like 10 seconds. Um, so that's a rule that that makes a lot of sense. I never understand why in all kinds of things there's just very arbitrary rules and tampering to me like or why you're like you're not allowed to talk to free agents until 6 p.m and we know that nobody's following it i I don't know useful fictions i guess have their place but that's one that i do think is weird but the knicks entered the free agency flush with cap space they had draft picks they had two first round picks they have young players. They had a good team for once um, last year's fourth seed. So they entered with high hopes. And the reaction to the, after the draft and now what they've done so far in free agency, there seems to be, you know, some angst. I think the reviews aren't, aren't raves right now. The Rotten Tomatoes score would be about at 45, I guess, or something in that. The audience score may be a little better for the fans. But people aren't aren't doing backflips with what the Knicks did, and I, you know, I see that argument. But I'm gonna I'm gonna say this: last season for the Knicks, it was is again. I've said this before on this show. Like one of my favorite seasons as a fan in any sport that I can remember. It was so surprising. The team was so fun. They played so hard. It was this out of nowhere. Fell in love with a million different guys. This kind of interesting mixture of young players who were exciting and homegrown and a few surprise vets. And so you're coming off that like people, it's like they forget how bad this has been here. How depressing this has been. Like if this is your idea of a bad Knicks off season, like you must be new here. This is not a bad Knicks off season. Like bad Knicks off seasons usually are much, much worse than this. And at the end of the day, like they're in just, they're just in an awkward spot where they were a little better. They can't really crumb. They can't tear the thing down because they were too good last year. And they had a bunch of cap space, but no one to really spend it on who would really move the needle. So they added a few guys in the draft, and then they brought most of the guys back. So that, hey, I liked that team. Didn't you like that team? Who didn't like that team? So I get it, you know, but I think where people, what the problem is, I feel like, so my my children have, are, have wanted a dog for a long time. Um, they want a puppy, and I, me and my wife and I don't want a dog um, for a million different reasons. One, we live in a small apartment, and we have two children, and dogs are expensive, and I don't want one in my apartment all the time, and I don't want to have to deal with a dog or take care of a dog. It's too much for me, all right? And I'm not, I'm not going to say that I hate dogs. Um, I'm not going to come out here on the radio 
um, in a public forum and tell you that I hate dogs. Um, it's an unpopular viewpoint, and I, I get why people think you're like a monster if you feel that way. I like a nice dog. I love pet and play with a nice dog. I don't love dogs. I'm not into it. I don't. It doesn't move me. I know that's like a sick whatever makes me defective probably and incapable of true love. I, I get it. I just I don't care about dogs. Like if all the world's dogs disappeared tomorrow, I'd be like, oh, that's oh, that's too bad. That's so oh, I'm sorry to hear that. What, what do you think, we should, should we get lunch? Like, I just, it doesn't mean, I don't, I'm not against them. I'm not, it's just they don't do it for me. So I'm not getting, but my children wanted a pet. And they're all excited thinking, maybe we'll get a dog. So we bought them two fish. They each get a fish and a nice little aquarium. And they're loving it. They're excited. There's fish. There's animals in the house. We're pet owners now. Like, we did something. And that maybe is where, that's like, the maybe the Knicks, some people were expecting them to come home with a dog, and they came home with like a tank, a nice tank that's got some nice decorations in it, and lights, and it's exciting, and like two, you know, nice fish that are swimming around, and, you know, maybe one of the fish is going to be dead in a week, but the point is that there's a pet in the house, and there's something to look at and exciting, so like, for me, I'm fine with a fish, like, we're coming back next year, and this team that I loved is mostly intact. Um, I'm very sad to see my good friend Reggie Bullock go. I had come to really love him. Um, I think you can quibble. I get where people are quibbling with some of the contracts. You know, I think the Nerlens Noel is a little curious. You know, three years, $30 million for a backup center seems like a lot, um, especially for a guy who, by the end of the year, Taj Gibson was playing the big minutes in the playoffs. Um, you have Mitchell Robinson coming back. So that seems like a lot of money. Like, I will say this. I wanted the Knicks to mostly run it back, bring on a couple of young guys, make a little bit of improvement, and do it that way. And that's what they did. I am a little surprised how how much that costs to do. Like, I didn't realize that running it back was going to be this expensive. But look, basketball players are expensive they're really rare there's only 12 guys on a team they're like six seven and above they're freaks of nature there's just not a lot of really quality ones so they earn a lot of money so you know guys like alex caruso are getting 36 million you know nerland's noel at 30 alec burks at 30 it's not crazy to me like that's not insane and the Knicks did go out and sign one of the biggest free agents on the market um, in Evan Fournier, who is not a perfect player, but a guy who scores around 20 points per game and is a really great shooter. You know, I think what was interesting about the Knicks last season is they shot it well, but they didn't have great shooters. And so you saw in the second half of the season when they shot lights out from three-point land and... They had a lot of guys have good years from three point from three point land, but they didn't really have like a true great shooter, a guy you could rely on every night to be a great shooter. And I thought it hurt them in the Hawks series. You saw guys like Bogdanovich and Horder, who are true, really, really good three point shooters, and the Knicks didn't really have that. And so you go out. I I don't, I don't blame them for looking at that series and being like, we need that. We need a guy like this. Um, and so then you're able to keep Burks. You have Fournier and Burks as the Bullock-Burks upgrade. I, per, I personally, I would have kept Bullock over Burks 
just because now you have Fournier, he gives you a lot of what Alec Burks would give you, only a little bit better. And then I would have, um, you know, Bullock for his defense and his three-point shooting. But, you know, I get Burks has a lot of versatility because he can play point guard a little bit. Um, He's a better scorer, and they feel like they need that. Um, So I think that's totally defensible. Um, But I was sad about it. There's a small tear. Reggie, I just really liked that guy. I don't know how you... If you watch the Knicks the way Scott and I did last year and lived and died with it, if you didn't come away respecting Reggie Bullock and appreciating him and wanting him in a Knicks uniform, like, I don't I don't know what you're about or what you're watching. So I'm a little sad there. But they add, you know, one of the elite free agents. So I, I don't think that's bad. You know, you could, you could be whisk, wishing that they had got Lonzo Ball or, you know... Which I don't, you know, I just don't see that as a big move. You know, if you're if you're wishing they got a Kyle Lowry or a Chris Paul or a Mike Conley, which were guys they could absolutely use and you wish wanted to come here, but they didn't and they weren't going to get them. So, like, what can you do? Um, I, I don't get, you know, there's nothing that can be done on that front. And, like, look, the Knicks had a great year that I loved and I was super excited about it, but it's clear to me that... It, Coming to join Julius Randle and what we have is not a thing that, like, a Kyle Lowry is going to come. We didn't do enough last year that a guy like that is like, I got to go play there because I could go win a title. Cause, and they're right. We, you can't. Like, we're not that away. But, you know, and I get, you know, Miami looks at Miami and probably wants to live in Miami. And then that's just a great organization. And they know what they're doing. They have a great reputation. And they were in the finals two years ago. Like, were they technically worse than the Knicks last year yes but where a guy like that would see that as a more sustainable um realistic option for him I I totally understand that um so I look at what they did and I'll admit I grade the Knicks on a curve like a huge curve which is just like are they am I looking forward to next season and by that standard a hundred percent yes so you know, did they burn through the cap space or have they boxed themselves in too much? I don't, you know, maybe a little, but I don't know what you're saving the cap space for. Um, it doesn't sound like there's going to be guys next year that are really, we're going to be able to offer max dollars to anyway. So they're still in good position. If they, if one of these disgruntled stars comes available, a Damian Lillard, what have you, they can make that move. They have young players, good young players and movable contracts and that seems like a reasonable decision they made is like let's keep this team that people love that makes us not excruciating to watch still have the option to swing for a big star when the the opportunity arises and look it's all luck in the nba it's all luck like all these teams are idiots the bucks couldn't have been more poorly run until they luck into this title run the Raptors were the, the poster children for being kind of a depressing, locked-into-mediocrity franchise. Like, DeRozan and Lowry were a great team, but it was clear they were always going to top out, and it was like, oh, the poor Raptors. And then they were able to swing a trade for Kawhi Leonard, and they win a title. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with being okay, with being not so bad. Like, I'm excited for them to be not so bad. And so the Knicks will come into next year, and... You know, there's some regression potential. Like, is Julius Randle truly this good? Is he going to be an all-NBA player? Again, I don't know. But they also have 
there's reason to believe they could be improved. Like Fournier is an upgrade. Uh, RJ Barrett, I think, might be a much improved player next year. Like, I don't know why that's not even considered possible for that a 21-year-old in his third NBA season might dramatically improve. Maybe he's a 20-point scorer next year. Maybe he's an all-star next year. And the Knicks are a totally different team. Emmanuel Quickly, who we all loved, but yet somehow there's this feeling that he's he is what he is. Like, he's... He's never going to get better. He might be substantially improved next year. This is a guy no one had high ups for, was amazing as a rookie. There's a lot of reason to think that he could be much better. Obi Toppin, I happen to think, um, will be a lot. And I know that's part of the reason people were so down that a Noel move, because it, it doesn't open up the opportunity for the Knicks to go small with Randall or Toppin at center. Um, and now you're going to have you know 48 minutes of Mitch or Noel. Um, or Taj Gibson, and so that that kind of forecloses that. But I think they're going to find if 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 Obi is improved and is playing better, like he's going to get on the floor. They're going to find ways to use him, and he might be substantially improved. I'm excited to see him. And then you come out of the draft, and it wasn't like a home run, you know. I understand that the trade they made with Charlotte was weird because it's a they traded the 19th pick for a future first round pick that is heavily protected and it probably isn't going to be any better than the pick they had but who are you wanting them to draft that you were so that it really matters like i i I, their rationale for why they want that future pick and again it seems to me that it's like another thing to throw in a trade and they seemingly got the two guys they were most interested in and i'm excited about both of them like are they the most high upside guys no but they both seem to be Good defenders who should be able to play this year and effectively who do have some upside. Quentin Grimes out of Houston was once a five-star recruit, kind of remade himself at Houston um, after a rough start to his college career. Really good three-point shooter, good defender. Like, that all sounds good to me. And then uh, Miles McBride um, out of West Virginia, I believe it is. Um Another guy I'm excited about, really good defender, seems like a good player. You know, I don't know why I should be, so maybe they're not. I know he's just ultimately a second-round pick, but most people had him mocked like to the Knicks in the first round. They get him in the second round. So they get two guys who seemingly both fit the team, fit needs, have some upside potential, and, you know, are I'm excited to watch. I'm excited to see if they're good. So you're telling me that we brought back this team that I loved with some potential upside. Like, I'm fine with that. And I think that, like, there's this tendency with the media, like, they're not, you know, you're not fans anymore. And I get it. And you can't evaluate it from a fan's perspective. But, like, the Knicks just kind of taking it easy this year and saving cap space and... Um, you know, not not bringing back these guys and taking a step back or playing younger guys. You know, like, I don't really want to do that. And so I'm not saying they made all the right moves or that this is like Leon Rose is a genius and like, you know, there's definitely some part of Nick's fandom going too far in the like, in Leon we trust. Like, you know, this is a guy who has ultimately done not much. Most of the players that are important on this team, he did not bring in. Um, which isn't to say, he, you know, he, he brought in Tom Thibodeau. He brought in 
Manuel Quickly and Obi Toppin and the guys I'm excited, and the two draft picks now that I'm excited about, but it's not like he's made a series of brilliant moves. But it certainly feels like there's a sense the Knicks have some clue of what they're doing. I like the team. And I'm just not my <laughs> my expectations are just not that high. Like I just want them to be okay, you know. I want to turn on my TV and not want to like hurt myself. <laughs> so the Knicks to me have cleared that bar. I look at a starting lineup, and it still seems like there's a move to be made. Um, you know, whether it's Dennis Schroeder um, or Reggie Jackson, which would be my preference. Um, you know, there's going to be some kind of new point guard um, to go along with Derrick Rose. Um, you know, that looks like an exciting starting lineup. And look, I get where we're going to be having, like, so many of the same fights that we had this year about this team. Like, playing young guys versus vets. Like, if they sign Dennis Schroeder, we're all going to spend the whole season screaming at each other about McBride should play instead of Schroeder. We know what Schroeder is. He's, he's just a trade chip. Why is he here? McBride, anytime he does anything, he'll be able to, you know, quickly needs to play more. Like, OB playing five, get Noel out of there. Like, we are going to be having those battles, and it's probably going to drive each other nuts. But I also feel like we're going to be a playoff team, and we still have all these young guys who I'm interested to see develop. And we are set up where, look, we can make a move for a Dame Lillard or a Bradley Beal if something happens, or a Carl Anthony Towns, or we have some really nice young pieces. We still have a bunch of draft picks. Um, and so we don't have the cap space, but we have the kind of contracts that you can send out in a deal. So I don't know. I just think the NBA is like the biggest crapshoot ever. And there's a lot to be said for just being like an okay team for a little while. And I have no problem with it. And I, I didn't want to take a big step back. Um, I don't know that the Knicks have embarked on like the wisest course of action, or I wouldn't characterize this offseason as like the biggest home run ever but you know like i said we got a couple of fish we got some fish they're swimming in the tank every once in a while we can look up and watch them swim and maybe we've got it's a pretty little scene in there and it makes your home a little bit happier and is it a dog no is it a puppy no are the kids running out like they you've changed their whole lives forever no but we're all a little bit happier and there's something to be excited about. There's something to pay attention to. There's something to be invested in and maybe grow. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll get a bigger aquarium. Maybe we'll become fish people and get like a cool one and get like electric looking fish and Nemos and cool stuff and, and build on this. And that's all still in front of us. So I just feel like the Knicks went out there and didn't do anything terrible and look at some point we're gonna have to get beyond that okay like absolutely i hear you like the knicks can't play this game forever of just low to lower expectations and at some point we're gonna be talking about they're gonna have to make a really clever move or make the trade or do the thing that's gonna actually make them a contending team but let's i mean this is year two like Last year was the first year in so long that the Knicks weren't a nightmare. And that they weren't a nightmare and there was reasonable hope that it could be, it could sustain itself for more than like three seconds. So 
to turn around and dump on what they just did this offseason makes no sense to me. Um, and I am totally okay with the tack that they took. You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. We are an open platform that promotes free expression. Like many of us, this year was a rough year for us, so every dollar helps keep us on the air. Um, look to donate at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. We really appreciate it. Um, it helps us keep doing our work in the community. Um, and I want to know everyone to know that I was doing that from memory. So if it's not exact, I apologize. Scott's actually not here. I don't have it in front of me. I thought I would. Um, but so that's our average by from memory. So switching gears from the Knicks, I guess we'll talk about the Giants for a little bit here. Um, I got on here like a week ago and I was pretty excited about the Giants. <laughs> and Scott was looking at me like I'm out of my mind. And I, I get why he looked at me that way. <laughs> and I, I do feel like, was there a part of me that was wishing that into reality? Probably. And so the Giants opened camp and, you know... These camp stories, like one camp, it's just there's just there's beat guys, there's Twitter, like we need information at all times. Like there's just way too much reporting on camp, and like we're reporting on like guys' completion percentages and seven on seven drills, and it's ridiculous. That said, like the Giants, I mean, it's fair to say like things couldn't have started off worse. You know, like all the accounts or the offense looks terrible. Something I read something about you know they they were throwing like twenty fade patterns in a row and the in, in the red zone, which is like the worst pattern you could have. And, you know, the offense didn't look good. Kenny Galladay pulled up lame today. Like Shane Lemieux went down. Pert seemingly was hurt a little bit. But I think today they put the pads on and there was a fight in camp. And, um, like, first day, you know, uh, Joe Judge gets in a thing with um, – Whatever that fellow's name is, who I don't care, uh, you know, the former Carolina Panther whose name is escaping me. But anyway, they had to cut. And, you know, now there's been just a lot of focus on Joe Judge and his cursing. And do the players respond to him? And is he too tough and all that? And it's just been kind of a disastrous opening, you know, where you're just like not what anyone wanted to see. Like seemingly kind of bad injuries to key players. The offense, we're all banking on this huge improvement, looking really bad. Jason Garrett looking like he's basically Jason Garrett. And it's just this terrible kind of feeling, you know, just everything you're reading. There's no, like, momentum. So, you know, naturally you start to wonder about yourself. Am I, you know, what am I, Should how concerned should anybody be? And I guess it's just like, look, you can't be worried about it until you see these guys in action, right? Like, you know, we're going to have preseason games. We're going to have lots of training camp stories, you know. Like, I, I just can't really get aggravated by reading about training camp practices in which the offense didn't look good or, you know, Daniel Jones interceptions in seven-on-sevens. Like, I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> so, like... You know, 
I still think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about the Giants, and there's just no reason to freak out every time that they don't have a strong practice. And, like, we're just not going to know. You know, eventually they're going to start to play, and we'll find out if this team is good. But, like, you know, there's been all these weird stories about Kadarius Tony and his shoes, and, like, I just, um, you know, I just can't get worked up about it yet. Like, you know, is it nice to hear that there was, like, a team-wide brawl and Daniel Jones was at the bottom of the pile? Like, no, that doesn't seem great. And, you know... You know, I don't know, but that happens in every training camp, right? We all watch Hard Knocks, right? There's always, like, one episode where the guys get into a fight. Like, that's sort of part of it. So, you know, they put the pads on for the first time, and some coaches, like, almost encourage that kind of stuff. Um, So, I I don't know. But, like, if you're somebody who didn't have high hopes for the Giants and you're reading this and, like... um, you want to be negative or pessimistic like you've probably read enough already that you're um you're ready to jump the boat and i will say this like i was talking about the knicks the giants are different like the giants there's no curve like they got to be good this year like if there's if this is a lousy team you know everybody is on notice like you know, even Joe Judge, that, that the shine will come off fast. The Daniel Jones, you know, we'll be talking about can they trade for Aaron Rodgers next year or whatever. Um, you know, Saquon Barkley, you might be talking about letting him walk. Like, you, you're talking about starting another rebuild. Like, there's no and – I, and, I, and I don't know, you know, the tough question is, like, how good do they have to be to not have those conversations? And, and that's, like, a, you know, only something the Giants can answer – like the the answer is probably different than what you and I or all of us would would say because we've been dealing with this, you know, since you know, you're, all, you're we're almost 10 years of the Giants being a lousy team. Like 2012, you know, it's 2021. This season's going to flip into 2022. Like you can't be bad for 10 years and then try to go, you know, 8 and 9 this year, which still sounds weird. And try to tell people you're on the right track unless that 8-9, like, there's something, you know, it's 8-9, but Daniel Jones threw 40 touchdowns, you know, or it's 8-9, but Saquon Barkley ran for 2,000 yards and the defense, you know, which, you know, if, if, and that's if that's the case and how we go 8-9, but um, you know what I mean. I mean, I think the only way you go 8-9 and, and there's not major disappointment is Daniel Jones throws 40 touchdowns and 4,500 yards. And maybe there's injuries on the defense and we're not as good as we thought and the, and the pass rush is still an issue. But, like, that's the only way that, that you have a season that disappointing. Um, and this isn't a total disaster. But I just, like, I can't freak out yet about what I'm hearing about the Giants or – get all worried about it um, until we start to see real practices, real games, um, and see what this team is like. Because this other stuff is just, it's just, 
it's too much, man. Like, there's too much of the... I mean, I guess I don't know. I eat it up, right? You're listening to this, maybe. Somebody. We're talking about it. It's like on Twitter, it's like, this guy was eight of eight. You know, this one through... And I, mean, I don't know. Like, you're watching it. We send these people there to watch the practices. They're going to tell us how it went. Like, what else are they supposed to do? Just be like, well, we went to practice, but it's meaningless. So don't worry about it. No, I, they got to say, like, what they saw. Um, and so, like, that's what we get. But I just kind of can't take it anymore of just, like, one day to the next. I mean, I, I don't think – I can't imagine NFL coaches, like – I'm sure they evaluate practice or whatever. But, the, you know, you can't look – I mean, look, these players sometimes take years to develop, right? And game to game, ups and downs. So, like – a practice you know like he he threw an interception at a practice and i'm supposed to get worried because kenny galladay doesn't look good at practice um i'm not gonna do that but on the other hand i will say (coughs) you know is it possible that your your humble host here was trying to talk himself into something last week on the Giants? Probably. I don't know. Like, if you're out there and you're, you're a Giants hater and you're like, you're nuts. They stink. I, I mean, what am I going to tell you? They, that's ridiculous? No. They have stunk. They've stunk for a very long time. You know, just by inertia, it would seem quite logical that they might stink again. And maybe stink for many more times but uh you know i'm not going to worry about it just yet so we're going to switch gears for a little bit um i I was going to plug another ad read in there but i can't i don't have it in front of me so i'm just gonna lousy transition my way through this um and this is why this is what you come to uh, Radio Free Brooklyn for. You know, I'm 30 minutes in here by myself. This is why you know this is why even when you listen to like people who do post podcasts, they have like some schmuck they can turn to, right? Like Bamani Jones has some guy I don't even know who that is. He turns to and asks me fuckable questions. Um, Ryan Rosillo has some dude who's producing a thing where every once in a while he throws a, a comment to. It's because you're sitting here by yourself and you're looking at the clock and you're trying to figure out how much more you can squeeze out of the Giants first week of training camp and nothing happened i don't know how many callers i could yell out i'd love for some of you guys to call me up and i could scream at you and tell you how stupid you are you could ask me some crazy question about the the mets or the yankees and then we could go with that but uh i don't have that so what we will do we'll switch gears we'll talk about the mets for a little bit the mets made some news um one got javi baez at the trade deadline which was exciting and then didn't sign their number their number one overall pick, Kumar Rocker, because of some medical thing and saving six million bucks and whatever. And like I don't there's no there's no um like the Steve Cohen era, it, it's hard to kind of square. One, I whatever you think of him, maybe you're excited. I, I can't stand him. I just the guy's a crook and just poking us all in the eye about it constantly. And I don't need to see him on Twitter. And I don't like him. I'm not rooting for you. I'm not happy about you. I don't want to hear from you. I'd really rather you just cut the checks and I never saw your face or saw your tweets or heard your voice. And that'd be fine with me. But while it's no doubt been like a change from the Wilpon era and like things are better, it's this real like weird 
it's like his he decided as an homage to keep doing certain weird stuff to like so that Mets fans we know we're still rooting for the Mets. I, like on the one hand, right? Like it's like Francisco Lindor. Like they went out, got him. They got a big marquee player. And then it was kind of a weird negotiation and, and things got unnecessarily messy, whatever. But then they looked, they did it. They went out and they signed him for like six gazillion dollars, right? A $300 million contract, the kind of deal the Mets never have done in the Wilpon era. Like, we just wouldn't have happened, right? Remember, we dragged it out with Yoannis Cespedes for like 75 million, was like pulling teeth trying to get the Mets to pony up for that guy who won a freaking MVP and led them to the World Series. Now they're, you open up the wallet, 300 million, like it's nothing. And we got Francisco Lindor. But then they kind of cheaped out on, they didn't get JT Realmuto, like, right? They didn't get this guy. They didn't get that guy. Like, they didn't, it wasn't like an avalanche of stuff. Um, wasn't a total, oh, we're, look, we're, we're never shop, bargain shopping again. This is, we're the Mets now. We're like first class all the way. Like, they made some weird decisions, guys. They decided not to sign um, things they didn't do. So then it's like a trade deadline, right? I mean, this is an aggressive Mets trade like going out getting Javi Baez power hitter guy they need with Lindor on the shelf right now um you know they're in first place in kind of a weird way they really haven't been that good but they are in first place in a bad division so they make a big kind of splashy move um sort of not the type of thing that maybe they would have done but then they turn around (laughs) and seemingly cheap out on just like signing this draft pick um because of some injury concerns and like look who knows maybe they'll end up being vindicated and there are arm issues and you know scott boris maybe is being misleading and it seems like a more complicated situation than than maybe it seemed like at first blush um but at the end of the day they seem to be saving a little bit of money so that they can have the same pick next year have a have a top 11 pick next year um you know which i i guess but uh, you know all to kind of not avoid paying this guy a little bit of money who seems like a pretty exciting prospect where I get there's some weirdness, right? Like he was really good this year at Vanderbilt and then there was some velocity issues and it seems like there's maybe some kind of undiagnosed arm injury. I don't really understand how that works, how you like can't tell. Um, Although I guess I can, right? We all think like, we think medical science is so much more cut and dry than it is like, I don't know if you ever looked at an x-ray, but I mean, it's pretty, you know, or look at an MRI result, like, unless you, it's not so easy to tell what's going on. Like, you're talking about looking at stuff inside the human body, right? Like, it's not always clear cut. And if he's not experiencing pain and, you know, it's like, it's not always so obvious what's wrong with someone. So it's, it's, it's sort of believable that there's this kind of confusing situation about but it just seems like if you're the Mets and you're these, we're the big spenders now, like, whatever. So you got him with the 10th pick. He fell a little bit. Like, prior to any of this hullabaloo with this potential injury, like, this is a guy people thought was potentially, like, the next really great pitcher. And all he was going to cost you was, like, a little bit of money. And you still have a first-round pick next year, like... Um, you know, I guess I can sort of like what what's the harm in it? Like, if you're right, he's you have an, a guy who's you know an older player who could step in pretty quickly here and help you, and it doesn't hurt you that much. So, 
you know, it's just this weird thing where you're like, what is it? Which is it, Stevie? Uncle Steve? Are you like, you know, and I know he would tell you like he's just trying to be savvy, right? And I think he had some stupid tweet about um, draft picks and like likened it to some kind of investment strategy. And it's just like, you know, everything he's going to do, he's going to explain as like, you don't understand. I'm Stevie Cohen. I'm making deals. I'm signing checks. I know when to double down. Whatever, you know, I'm sure when he plays blackjack, he knows every move when to when to bet when to turn over his cards all that stuff but uh it just struck me as like a very weird metsy situation and you know here we are and the mets i don't know it's like it's it's definitely a new day in many ways and uh the team is still you know look in first place i mean you can't be totally upset but they're 55 and 50 you know michael conforto's been terrible Degrom is hurt now for a little while lindor is hurt like it hasn't been a super fun year i i know i've been banging on that i'm probably been too harsh on baseball like i, I think i'm blaming baseball for all that ails my own life really <laughs> like why isn't this more exciting i need something interesting all I do is work and take care of kids, and I just try to turn on the Mets game, and Pete Alonso is not doing enough for me to be as excited as I want to be in this Mets team. Like, I just wanted this Mets team to be awesome this year, and they're just kind of middling. And it's annoying, but I just feel like that's what this Steve Cohen era is off to this weird start of, like, it's not terrible, but it's just not that cool, and he sucks, and screw this guy. And if we're going to have this asshole, you know, I want to be awesome. <laughs> and I don't want to be middling. And, you know, but, you know, so again, it's like, you know, doing enough, you can't probably be horrendously mad. I mean, they went out and made a big trade. They, you know, they've made some big signings. I'm sure they will do so again this offseason. But I, I just don't like being stuck in this weird limbo between heaven and hell with the pets um, that we're in. I don't know. I just wanted to be more excited about this Mets team that I am um, and uh, can't seem to get out of it but we'll see we still got you know a little bit of this season left and uh, we'll see what happens with the Mets but one thing we don't have long to enjoy is the Olympics and uh, the Olympics are going to be wrapping up soon um, I have not watched as much of the Olympics as I wanted to I don't know if it's just... I think it's the timed thing. I think just being Japan, it's just a nightmare. I, I, don't, I feel like I want to blame NBC. Um, I mean, don't think they've been done themselves any favors between the peacock of it all and USA and CNBC. And, like, it's just impossible to find what you're looking for when you watch the regular NBC broadcast. It just seems to be jumping around and, like, I never know when anything's going to be on or if it's live or not or medals are on the line or what the hell. Um... And again, it may just be the nature. I'm sure an NBC executive would be like, what do you want us to do? There's a million things going on. We have all these channels. That's like, it's hard. Um, things are harder than people realize. I know this. I'm in the television business. TV over the internet is hard. Um, it's hard. Like, so I don't want to blame them. It just seems like they've done a terrible job. Um, but it's hard. So again, so because of that, for whatever reason, I just haven't watched as much of it. And then I think, you know, we all got the bummer of we thought we are going to watch the greatest gymnast of all time, and that was going to be the big draw. And, you know, I think me and Scott talked about it a little bit 
Um, but the Simone Biles um, situation where, you know, she was forced to pull out of most of the competitions and then finally got back out there for the beam and gave it one last try and won a bronze medal. And, you know, I think it's just such an interesting, it's one of the most interesting things I can recall happening in sports. Um, and like, I'm not, you know, I, I, the people who jumped on her and are, you know, want to be like, it's what's wrong with society and how it immediately got into like a culture war thing is just so infuriating. Um, but I do think it's not, you know, the people who just like universally want to, you know, or not universal. I mean, like I do think she did what she did, how she handled it, like graceful. She's an amazing athlete and human being and all that. I do think it's like it, there are some nuances there where this is a kind of tricky thing. And I get where people, um, you know, I, I, how would an athlete who's less accomplished be greeted with something like this? Um, how are we going to handle situations like this going forward? There is some interesting stuff there, like as, as athletes are kind of more outspoken or everybody is about mental health and what you need to kind of take care of your mental health. Like if there is some interesting questions that are going to arise, but like the, the thing that I've kind of taken away, especially as we've sort of learned about, you know, this, the twisties, um, you, you can't take the gymnastics part out of this, what it is like I, the only thing I can, that can help me relate to it at all is like, I'm a golfer and i've had both the yips with putting and the shanks at various times and if you're not a golfer what that means is for the yips when you're putting like sometimes you'll just you have a little like twitch almost in your hand and it just you can't stop yourself from doing it every time you try to take a putt it's like a mental thing it just goes and you're it's a nightmare you're gonna miss everything you might miss a foot putt six inch putt it happens to like great players like Ernie Els had a battle with the yips that was humiliating. He was three, four putting from six inches. Um, and the shanks, very similar. It's when you go to hit it and you hit, end up hitting it off the hosel and you feel like the swing is fine and good and something is happening in your body that's just forcing you to open up and hit it off the hosel. And I once had it in a, I was qualifying for my high school golf team and got a case of the shanks and around and shot like 65. And it was humiliating and horrible. And I had to like go to the ring, like an indoor range in the night and try to fix it and think of everything and put garlic in my face and sleep with a live rodent, whatever I could do to get rid of the shanks. And it was a mental thing. And it's like something in both of those. And I've dealt with the yips and it's a nightmare. And, you know, I wouldn't want it to happen in, like, a major championship if I was leading the Masters or I was playing in the U.S. Open. But the, but the biggest difference there is with the yips or the shanks, under no circumstances, if it happens to you, are you going to, like, break your neck and die? <laughs> like, having a version of the yips in midair while you're somersaulting off a vault is a very different thing than just like missing a putt and shanking a seven iron in the fairway of a tournament that's important to you is like a deeply embarrassing thing that really rattles you but it's a lot easier to just try to shake it off and like see if you can mentally adjust when if you're not like physically in danger at no point if you shank it 
are you going to end up paralyzed from the waist down? So if you have anything like that, while you're like on a floor routine doing eight double, triple, gazillion backflips, like that's just a very different thing. And it makes total sense that you would be like, look, I like I until I work through this, like I can't um, I can't compete. And so I feel like we've all kind of undergone this education. And it's like of what this is and that this is pretty common. And, you know, I, I can get where maybe to you it feels like that's an excuse or this is like some mythology that's springing up out of nowhere. All I know is like we've seen it in other sports, right? Like Chuck Knobloch in baseball or Rick Ankeel or things like that. And those things happen. But again, you can get out there and try to your best to pitch in the World Series when you've been dealing with that. It's a very different thing when you're on the be- the bars and you're trying to do like you can't just kind of fight through that in the moment. Like you got I totally so we're talking about this through a lens of like regular sports where you know treating you can't talk about Simone Biles like she's Ben Simmons and she's struggling mentally with her you know, free throw shooting and, oh, maybe she should just kind of suck it up because that's just not the thing. Like there is a physical danger involved um, that, you know, you just can't overlook it. And you just, you know, I I don't know. I mean, I guess who am I arguing with, right? Just idiots on Twitter or people who want to just throw feces at the world. Um, And, you know, which is, look, that's what we all do always and we all have to deal with it like it's kind of another situation and i'll there's like this thing that happens with social media where everything gets flattened there's no nuance to any discussion but there's like those of us with good faith who might be having a conversation about about simone biles and and like really trying to think about it in some way and like interested in hearing about the twisties and oh like that's very interesting like that that helps me understand what's happening here or evaluate it and maybe somebody in good faith is saying, like, but, you know, this could be, like, would, are we going to have an athlete, like, not play in a game seven because they're dealing, like, could you see a Kyrie Irving, like, pull out of a playoff series because he's dealing with some emotional issues? And, like, how are we going to handle that? And, like, what does it mean to be mentally tough and just, like, grind it through? Like, I heard, you know, someone was making an interesting point about Carrie Strug and that she had this terrible inj- ankle injury and fought through it. But, like, should she have, like... Those are interesting kind of questions. Like, I had never really considered that before. And, like, I, you know, I don't know. That's tricky, right? Like, would we, we would have all lost something. Like, does she, do you think she regrets doing that? I don't, I find it hard to believe that she regrets making that vault. Um, and athletes deal with that all the time about whether they should put themselves first, but both emotionally, physically. And it's like a, an interesting conversation. And there's like good questions and, but while we're all people of good faith, like, trying to talk about this stuff, there's, like, this army of just the worst people online just, like, throwing feces at us all the time. Just, like, she's a quitter. You know, like, and, it, and it's amplified. It's everywhere. And you're just inundated with just these idiots all day, every day, who, like, the rest of us are, like, we're trying to, like, have a conversation and talk about this in an interesting way. And you guys are just throwing shit at us. And it's happening with that. It's happening with the pandemic. Like, look, 
right now we're all we're you know we're dealing with there's vaccines there's now a more contagious variant there's unvaccinated children there's what what to do with your children what to do when you've had the vaccine or you've had the vaccine but you're in an area that's hasn't had it or what what should the rules be like vaccine mandates and how far is too far like should people be masking again i don't know like should you have that party should we start rethinking indoor gatherings right now like what, uh, what you know there's it's complicated it's not that easy like i mean it's pretty it's more simple than really it's really just everybody should get this vaccine but look i get where there's some discomfort it's a vaccine being pushed by a pharmaceutical company that you know they're telling you you have to get it's going to be very profitable for them and you're thinking i don't know that i trust this like i, I get that and all the while, those of us who are like trying to talk intelligently about it and figure out like what really makes the most sense, there's just this like never-ending onslaught of people just like throwing shit at us all the time, like freedom, master tyranny, like I'm not doing any of it. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to do it. And you're like, just can you all just shut up? So the rest of us can like discuss this and figure out what makes the most sense and let the people who know kind of advise and they can debate and we can choose without this just endless ridiculousness all the time. But we can't like they're not going away. It's it's always there. And it's just driving me, I got to tell you, I'm just going to, it's driving me totally insane. Like the whole conversation around the pandemic at this point. Um, I just want everybody to just, if you could just get your vaccine and maybe we could live life again. Um, I would really appreciate it. So let that be my PSA. Um, And I'll, I'll say this for what it's worth. I don't know what I'm talking about, right? I'm not, I'm not Dr. Fauci. I don't know, right? I'm not an epidemiologist. I've certainly read more about epidemiology or infectious diseases than I ever planned to in my life. I follow case counts and percentages and I like am sort of obsessed with it and trying to understand what the right thing to do is and, and can't think about much of anything else. Um, but to me, it's like, I sort of got the argument when it remember there was like this is like a year and a half ago at this point but they had like those projections that was like the vaccine the deaths are going to peter out at like 65,000 or something like that and Trump was all excited. And I'll admit at that point you were like, you know, I wonder. Like that is at the, at that point like a really bad flu season. And maybe lockdowns and masks and like all of this stuff like maybe that was a little bit. Like I understand the the justifiable fear and like maybe that was. But then we then then it's now 600,000. Like, what, how many people would have to die for you to be like, you know, we obviously, now in hindsight, we should have done more. We should have been ridiculously aggressive right at the start. Made sure this never happened. Done everything possible. Like, 600,000 dead is a ridiculous number. So those arguments, like, I was, I was, it. I was like, yeah, I hear you. I hear what you're saying at first. Like, maybe this is a little, maybe this is too much. And I'll say the same thing with the vaccines. Like at one point, they were hoping it might be as effective as a flu shot, which really they're not, they don't work that great. Like, you know, the protection isn't whatever. And you can still, and people get the flu and they're not super, super effective. Like, these are not that. Like, they're unbelievable. It's like <laughs> incredible. So at this point, like, 
no, now, like, it isn't that. Where it's like, you know, am I really going to take something that's, like, a little unproven and ultimately doesn't give me the kind of... You no, know, now it's like, this ends if we all do this thing. So, you have to. <laughs> you have to. Everybody's got to do it. I don't care what you've been reading. I don't care what you've been listening to or who told you or what TikTok you saw about vaccines or bat. Like, you just, you just got to do it because, like... We gotta, you know, it's too much now. It's all too much, and we need it. And you know, it's now it's tragic. Like there's just all these, there's people dying who don't need to, and it's preventable with like a thing that, um, it, you know, it's really good. <laughs> you should do it, um, because it's been a it's been a long, a long year and change. I don't know. Is anybody going to miss? You know what we might miss is... Uh, you know, I'm not going to miss talking about the vaccine, though. That's for sure. Talking about it with people. You know, like at parties now, it's like... Um, what vaccine did you get? Moderna? Oh, yeah, yeah. Second shot. Huh? Side effects. What side effects? How much bad was side effects? Like, oh, you had Pfizer? Yeah, I heard that's not so bad. Moderna? Nah, yeah, not going to Oh, J&J? What was that like? Oh, are you going to get the booster? I don't know. Like, where'd you get it? Oh, how'd you, how'd you get the appointment? Like, I just... I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about... <laughs> I don't want to hear about it. Um, I just want to know that you did it. Like those kind of conversations, right? It's just like human beings. We just have, we don't know what to talk about. Like it's like the weather, that stuff. Um, all these icebreaker conversations that it's like, yeah, well, yeah, well, I got that. I got that. I don't want to talk about it. Um, other thing, pandemic, like, you know, Zoom. You know, I was saying this, I, I'm... Not that I'm not, I'm not going to miss Zoom. Look, I don't know. Zoom's here for life, probably. I think we're going to be on Zoom. But it's just like, I'm, I'm a little tired of hearing the word Zoom. Like, you're on Zoom? You're on Zoom? You on mute? You mute? You on muting? Are you muting? You mute? You mute? <laughs> Unmute. I think I'm on mute. I was on mute. Like, I'm never laughing. I just want to get this out there to the whole world. Like, you unmuting yourself and then oh sorry i was just on mute i'm never laughing again all right ever like it's not funny just fucking don't be guess press mute when it's time to press mute and unmute it when it's time to unmute it all right it's been two years no more i'm sick of it i'm not listening to it i'm not chuckling at it okay <laughs> was I on mute? you know what i was just on mute i don't care don't say mute don't say unmute. Don't say mute. Just talk when you're supposed to talk and listen when you're supposed to listen and press the button when it's time to press the button and unpress it when it's time to unpress it. Okay? I don't want to hear it, but, I mean, look, we're going to be dealing with that forever. We're not. I don't think it's going away. I don't want it to go away. I've been thinking about this, like the remote work. You know, I've been blowing a lot of smoke telling people, you know, I think a hybrid, and I, I, I might still think this, I don't know. Like being, in my, I'm in my, talking to you from my apartment, I'm in here all the time. I never leave. It's weird. I think it's affecting me emotionally. On the other hand, do I really want to go into an office? No. I don't want to get back on that subway and march in. Like, the nice thing about this remote working is you own your life in a way you didn't before. Like, you're in charge. You make decisions about when you're working when to shut it down like on there are some negatives like you're always working sure you're you're never you don't like what's nice about an office is you go to the workplace and you do the work and then you come to the home place and you do the home but that had already been let's face it that was already they were encroaching right they got us our phones were you know you weren't going home and shutting it down you were on 
So, you know, maybe there's some happy medium of in a little or leave at three and work from finish from home or there's things like that give us more flexibility. But I'll tell you this, if it's an option between all remote and all office, I'm taking remote. I've made some nice friendships in offices. I've had some good times in offices. But I'm, I mean, again, it's like owning your life, living your life, being in charge of your own life. And it's freeing and it feels good. And, you know, I actually had this epiphany the other day. I was yelling at my kid because he didn't want to go to camp. And he was really giving me a hard time. It was first thing in the morning. I was tired. I didn't want to hear it. I got very angry. Might have thrown his backpack at him. What have you? Very upset. And then I realized that he was experiencing what I experienced. He doesn't own his life. I tell him where to go in the morning. He's got to go. He's got to go to school. Now he's got to go to camp. No day does he wake up and say, I'd like to do this today and I am going to do that. None. And I know, I know that feeling and I hated it. Right? Monday through Friday, I got to get up on the subway, trudge into that office, and go in there for a long ass time. And now I wake up. I might have breakfast at home. I might go out and grab a breakfast. Maybe I'll sign on right away. Maybe I'll sign on at 930 Maybe I'll go out somewhere for lunch. Maybe I'll order lunch in. Maybe from 3 to 4, I won't do anything. Maybe I'll go to the park with my kids for a little bit. And then I'll work later. I'll work longer. Whatever. But I'm in charge. I'm owning my life. And it's freeing. Like, there's just no doubt about it. So, like, there's just no way. If the choice is all or nothing on one end, I'm choosing... I'm choosing Zoom and my bedroom over, you know, trudging into Hudson Yards or the like to sit in some jerk's office. Um, And saying that, I have no idea what's going to happen. What do I know? You're listening to the Giants Among Men show on Radio Free Brooklyn. Do you think I have all the answers? I realize I talk a lot about epidemiology. (laughs) Now I'm talking about remote work. I might sound like I know what I'm talking about. I don't. I don't have any idea. What do I know? All I'm telling you is it's nice to own my life. And that's been one of the only good things about this whole terrible experience that I hope is ending, but doesn't look like it. You know, I hope we're getting ready for football season and fans are supposed to be in attendance. I hope that's still going to all happen. And I hope... This is, you know, we're nearing, this delta is the wave that is the last of it, but I have no idea. I'll be glued to Gottlieb and G and who else? All these other Twitter experts that we've all come to know and love over this last year, change as we try to figure out what the hell to do with our lives and how we're supposed to live. Um... So anyway, that is it for me this week, folks. Thank you so much for listening as always. I hope you enjoyed this one. I don't know if it was weird. Scott will be back next week. He's off enjoying a nice vacation in Cape Cod. Well-deserved. We'll be back next week. I'll get his thoughts on the Knicks and their offseason and kind of where they go from here. And maybe we'll start, maybe we'll see what the Giants are up to a little bit. Maybe we'll talk about something else. I don't know. Maybe we'll just talk about girls we we never slept with that we wished we had um that would be a weird episode i don't think we'll do that anyway thanks so much everybody and uh we'll see you next time